0: This is the Legacy United Methodist Podcast. Well, good morning again. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Legacy. Whether you're joining us online, on television, or right here in the sanctuary, I'm so very glad you decided to spend just a little bit of your October day with us. We're in the middle of this series where we're asking questions that we all ask from time to time. We all ponder these questions of purpose and meaning and significance and legacy. We asked, does my life matter? And the answer is, of course, yes, your life matters. So how do we live a life that matters? You know, we live a life that matters as we live out our purpose, no matter how old we are, no matter what season of life we're in, our purpose is to love God, love others, and love self. That's it. It doesn't matter where we live, how old we are, that's our purpose. As we seek to discern what God wants us to do in this specific moment, what does God want us to do at this moment, we learn to hear God's voice. And we hear God's voice through getting away, through prayer, and through echoes, once we hear God's voice, we've got a decision to make. We've got to go all in. God's told us to do something, and we've got to go all in with everything that we are, not holding anything back, none of our resources, none of our hang-ups. We're not holding anything back. We're going all in with what God has told us to do. Because we do this because Jesus tells us to, and we want to live a life that matters. This morning, we're asking a new question, and we're asking, what happens when I die? what happens when I die? There is so little certainty in so much of our lives. However, we can say with 100% accuracy at some point all of us will die. This is not something we like to talk about even in the church, even in the church where we worship a savior who rose again but he first had to die too. Even Jesus did not get out of death. We prefer just to ignore death and not face it until we're forced to whether we lose a loved one or somebody who's close to us. This is a we don't talk about Bruno type of situation. We try to operate as if we're gonna live forever in this life as we are, and we are not. Now it is much better for us to acknowledge the reality of death and to fully accept that we are mortal beings. We have so many questions around what death is going to be like. Is there life after death? What do you look like? after death? Will we recognize each other? What kind of body will we have? Do my loved ones currently with God see me here and now? Are dogs going to be in heaven? We all know where cats are going, but will dogs be <laughs> in heaven? There are a couple of cat, cat people in the, in the house today. Now, living a life that matters acknowledges we don't have an infinite amount of time. We do not have an infinite amount of time to live out our purpose, to love God, to love people, and to love ourselves. And as a matter of fact, facing our grief, loss, death, and dying helps us to live more fully. It helps us to live a life that matters in the here and now. This morning, we're going to face grief together first in this life, how we can have healthy grief. And then we will spend some time answering or trying to answer some of those questions we all ponder around death. We're going to continue our journey with Elijah, God's prophet, God's truth teller in Israel some 3,000 years ago, and his successor, Elisha. If you want to follow along in your own Bible, on your favorite device or on the screen with me, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 2 in your Old Testament. Now, up to this point, Elijah has had an amazing ministry, but he needs to be done. He needs to find a successor, someone to take the role as God's truth teller from him. So, Elisha is found, his replacement, and Elisha, once he gets the call, he goes all in. He burns his plows, he sacrifices, he kills his oxen, throws a huge block party, and goes with Elijah 100%. We pick up their story today, and Elijah and Elisha are walking together. You're going to quickly see this is a story. It's a story of Elisha preparing for the departure of his friend. We're going to start in verse 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourselves live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and asked him, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Now even God's chosen prophets, even God's truth tellers don't want to deal with pain and loss, grief and death. They somehow know today's the day. Today's the day Elijah's going to go be with God and the rest of the prophets and Elisha are going to be left behind to do God's work. Elisha knows it's going to happen. He still doesn't want to talk about it. Friends, that's human. That is our human nature. We all have a fear of loss. It isn't unique to our time and place in the world. We don't want to deal with it. Elisha knows that Elijah is going to heaven to be with God. Even the knowledge that Elijah is going to be with the Lord does not give Elisha much comfort. Elisha knows Elijah is going to be with God, but he still doesn't want to say goodbye to his friend. He still doesn't want to be separated from his mentor and this one that he loves. Elisha still hurts. Elisha still feels sadness and loss, still feels pain knowing where Elijah is going. Elisha needs to feel the loss. As followers of Jesus, we know our destination. We believe we're gonna spend all eternity with God in heaven and in the new heaven and the new earth. Now sometimes we can use that as an excuse to skip over grief, to try to move quickly through the pain and loss of losing a loved one. Or so many of the things we lose in this life, a job or a career that we've loved, a miscarriage, a future that will never be, a pet that recently passed away, of what church was like before the pandemic, of a dream that will never happen. Our Christian teaching of knowing the end of the story, of a redeemed and reborn and renewed heaven and earth and humanity where sin and death and suffering is no more can prevent us. It can prevent us from properly grieving all the loss we face in this life. Friends, people can get stuck in grief and not be able to move forward. That absolutely happens. But what I see far more than, often than not is Christians trying to speed through the end of grief And not simply allow themselves to be sad. Sometimes sadness through grief is the way to healing. We grieve in so many different ways and speeds. You read the scripture and you ask, why is Elisha so abrupt with the other prophets? Why is he so abrupt with his peers? Be quiet about it. Now maybe Elisha is just not ready to talk about it yet. But at some point, he's going to be ready. Or maybe... Maybe Elisha just wanted to be sad. He wanted to grieve. He wanted to feel the loss of his friend, even knowing where he was going. Brene Brown, the vulnerability scholar, she notes, we often have a very limited vocabulary, a very limited set of words we use when we talk about our emotions. It's normally three. We are angry, we're happy, or we're sad. And we feel a whole lot more stuff than just angry, happy, or sad. We feel things like guilt, envy, disappointment, jealousy. Those are all valid feelings. Especially as we grieve, we need to give ourselves permission to feel the full range of human emotions. She writes, each person's grief is unique as their fingerprint. But what everyone has in common is that no matter how they grieve, they share a need for their grief to be witnessed. That doesn't mean needing someone to try to lessen it or to reframe it for them. The need is for someone to be fully present in the magnitude of their loss without trying to point out the silver lining. The need is for someone to be fully present to the magnitude of their loss without trying to point out the silver lining. As Christians, let's give each other and those that we care for permission to be sad, to grieve, because it's the way we move forward. We all grieve at our own speed and pace. May we not force how we grieve onto someone else. Years ago, a friend of mine in his 70s lost his wife of 50-some years. And it was a few months after the funeral that some gentleman in church asked him if he got over his wife's death yet. Like, oh my goodness, I'm not a violent man, but whenever, when he told me that story, I wanted to punch that guy in the face. Like, that's the reaction, that's the emotion I was feeling. And maybe it goes to the point that this guy doesn't know how to talk about death because we don't talk about it enough in the church. Now, my friend responded a lot more wisely than I would have. My friend responded to him, have I gotten over my wife's death yet? I never will. I never will, but I will go through it. I will get through it. We let ourselves feel our full range of emotions, letting ourselves grieve at our own pace. We also lean onto the Lord who promises to walk with us even through the valley of the shadow of death, as Becca reminded us. Psalm 23, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We also walk together. We don't grieve alone. None of us do this alone. We let people grieve at their own pace and we are right there when somebody needs us. In this scripture, Elijah's within range of at least 50 prophets, probably many more. They're just kind of around the edges. They're waiting to help Elijah when he is ready to share their grief with him. We need each other as we grieve. It's how we heal. Riley, the middle schooler, was grieving. She had just moved from Minnesota to San Francisco where they make pizza with broccoli on it, of all things. She is grieving her friends, where she played hockey, and her own backyard. But she wanted to put on a happy face for her parents with all this change in their lives. By not letting herself feel sad, she was not healing. Just the opposite, in fact. The grief was still there unprocessed, and she didn't start feeling better. She didn't start grieving. She didn't start healing until she let herself feel sad. We need each other as we grieve. And friends, sadness isn't the enemy. Sometimes sadness is the hero. None of us want to deal with loss and grief and death and dying, but we all will. When we do, let's feel the full range of our emotions. Let's lean on each other, our people, our family, our friends, and let us remember the Lord walks with us through it all. Even through the valley of the shadow of death, God walks with us. Let's go back to our story with Elijah and Elisha. We're going to pick it up in verse 11. As Elijah and Elijah were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elijah saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. "'Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, "'which had fallen where he was taken up. "'Then Elijah returned to the bank of the Jordan River. "'He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, "'Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah?' "'Then the river divided, and Elijah went across.'" That is quite the way to go out, friends. Chariots of fire and a whirlwind, and Elijah is gone. There are two people in Scripture that appear to not die, Elijah right here in this story, and another man named Enoch in the first book of the Bible in Genesis, where he just kind of goes to be with God. Now in this story, Elijah experiences the separation from his friend, his departure to be with the Lord. And Elijah's response, his very human, very natural response, he grieves. He tears his clothes in distress an ancient and classic Hebrew practice. Elisha grieves at his own speed and pace, and he does so slowly. Now, our culture speeds fast through everything, including how we deal with grief and loss. There are other cultures that deal with it better, including still the Jewish tradition today. The Jewish mourning tradition makes an incredible amount of space for people to grieve in their own way. The first stage is called Anuit, and this is when you learn about the death of someone until the burial occurs. And the only thing you're supposed to do is to care for the deceased. And this takes three days or so. Following the burial, the second period is Shiva. It lasts for seven days following the burial. The whole family, parents, children, siblings, spouses of the deceased stay at home and preferably at the home of the deceased. The mourners receive guests. They receive condolences and they participate in worship. After that, the third period is Sheloshim. This lasts up to a month. This is up to 30 days after the burial. It is a slow transition back to normal life. You don't go to weddings, you don't go to parties, but you start re-entering normal life after Shiva and Anuit. Now, if you do the math, friends, that is at least 40 days, probably more than 40 days to make space for people to grieve at their own speed and to re-enter life when they're ready. That is very different than some places that require you to go back to, to work 24 hours after burying someone you've loved. We need space, we need time, we need to hurt and grieve when we lose something and someone very near and dear to us. People, dreams, futures, life as we thought it was going to be. Elisha grieves in his own way. And one of the things he needs is the same thing we need in our sadness and grief as well. Elisha needs to hear from God. He needs to hear from the Lord that he is with him. We need to be reminded in our grief that God has been faithful in the past and God will continue to be faithful in the future. In his grief and pain and loss, Elijah, knowing full well where Elijah is, he still needs to know God is with him. Earlier in the story, Elijah hits the cloak, uses his cloak, hits the river with it, and it parts. And Elijah and Elijah walk through it together. Now, this signifies not only that God is with Elijah. But it is an echo, it is a reminder of the defining story of the Hebrew people. It's a reminder of how God was with the Israelites as they were led out of slavery in Egypt and God parts the Red Sea, parts the Red Sea on both sides and millions walk through safety, safely. God has been with them in the past. God's been with the Hebrew people in the past. God was with Elijah and now God is with Elisha as he hits the cloak on the river and the waters separate. You know, in my times of grief and loss, I've experienced God's presence through prayer, through times of solitude and silence, and through reminders of those that I've lost in this life. Whether it's a memory is jogged when, something say, when someone says something like my mother would have, when someone shares a good memory about a colleague that has long since passed, or when a dog does something that reminds me of my dog who has since died, We experience God's presence as we fully absorb and experience the joy and the sadness, the happiness and the sorrow in those memories together. That's what it means to be fully human as God has made us to be. We need to grieve and let others grieve at their own speed. We need to hear from God and we need to be with and to share with others. This might be the last thing you want to do. Your grief, your loss, your pain, sharing that might be the last thing you want to share with others, but it's absolutely vital if we are going to move forward. In this whole chapter two, this entire group of prophets hanging around the edge are just ready and waiting to care for Elisha. He is there at the beginning of the story, checking in on him, and they're checking in on him at the end of the chapter. They do their best to be there and to help this man deal with his grief and his loss. If we do not want to become stuck in grief, if we don't have become stuck in grief, we've got to share it with other people. Whatever the loss is, if it's a loved one, to a job, to a pet, to a dream, to a miscarriage, we need to share it with trusted others as we're ready. We need to share it as we're working our way through it, what we're experiencing, what we're feeling, our whole range of human emotions. It's in the sharing, it's in the being with others, we experience the Lord. We experience God with other people and with each other. Through others, hearing from God and grieving at our own pace and speed, we endure death, grief, and loss in this life together. Now one question still hangs in the air for me. Where did Elijah go? In this incredible whirlwind and chariots of fire, he goes away, where does he go or more to the point, what happens when I die? Elijah went to be with God in heaven. N.T. Wright, the scholar and theologian, has a pretty standard answer when people ask him what happens after we die. He says, the Bible tells us we will be with Christ. We will be with Christ after we die. But N.T. Wright, what is it like? What will we experience? What will existence look like? I don't know, he says. I don't know. A foremost scholar and theologian, Christian expert on the New Testament, a man who has spent countless hours in the text studying and studying and researching, his response is a very human and honest one. What happens when I die? You're with Christ and then I don't know. That's satisfying, right? Now we can make some educated guesses though and try to satiate, try to satisfy our curiosity. I believe once we take our last breath here, our very next breath is in heaven with Christ. Exhale here, inhale in heaven. Scripture seems to explain a double resurrection after death. We are raised from death in a sense twice. Scholars and pastors debate this. There are some that believe we sleep until the very end, until the new heaven and the new earth arrive. And you think about it when you sleep, Uh, you have no idea of the passage of time. Eight hours, 8,000 years, it doesn't matter while we're sleeping. Now, for me, I think it is more likely there is a double resurrection. When Jesus is dying on the cross and he looks to the thief next to him and he says, today you will be with me in paradise, the thief is going today. It appears immediately at death, our spirits, our souls, whatever makes us us go to immediately be with God in heaven in paradise. We exist in some kind of disembodied state without a body for a time. Will we recognize each other in this disembodied state? Yes, I think so. One day Jesus takes his disciples up to a mountain and he's got a couple of disciples with him and on this mountain he is changed and transformed. While this happens, two other people appear next to him And the two other people are Moses and Elijah. Yes, the very same Elijah we've been talking about for the past few weeks. Somehow the disciples know who they are. How? I doubt they've seen artwork on what these two men look like. It's been a thousand years since these two men have walked the earth. I doubt they had name tags on them that said, Hi, my name is Moses. Hi, my name is Elijah. I think there is some kind of ability that we can recognize each other without physical bodies. So yes, you will know your loved ones, the people that have long since passed, you will recognize them in heaven in this disembodied state. Do my loved ones who have died see what I'm doing today? I don't know. I don't know. I like to think that Jesus would draw our loved one's attention to cool stuff that we're doing and they get to be a part of it, but I have uh, no no evidence of that other. Excuse me, other than we follow a God of love, and that seems to track. uh, Excuse me, our disembodied state does not last forever. Because when you read in the book of Revelation, there is a new heaven and a new earth. And this new heaven and new earth is populated with bodies. Not with spirits, but with people with bodies. And they're in these resurrection bodies that do not decay or die like our current bodies do. And we see a little bit about resurrection bodies when Jesus is raised from the dead. You read these stories about Jesus after the resurrection, and he's not a ghost. He is eating with people. He is chatting with them. You see his scars. And there's also some strange things where Jesus either sneaks into a room or he walks through walls. I'm not quite sure. Whatever the case may be, that um, there are resurrected bodies coming for us that do not die or decay like our current ones do. Now, God, our forever state is not disembodied. Our forever state is not in these uh, weird spirit realm in heaven, but it is in the new heaven and new earth where we will worship with God every day and will work and have purpose. We will worship and work and walk with God just like Adam and Eve do in the Garden of Eden. Worship is not going to be singing for all eternity. It is being with God and living out our purpose in the world in an embodied resurrection bodies not disembodied and last but very important for some our dogs going to be in heaven and our cats going to be there too now I didn't grow up with cats I was fairly cat agnostic Um, but we didn't have until our kids wanted them and they've been a fine addition to the house I swear there are less bugs and spiders around since we've added them to there Uh, but our dogs and cats in heaven Jesus talks one day about God caring for the sparrow and how much more are you, we as human beings, more important. You could draw a line saying, well, then that might mean that my husky, my black cat, my tabby might also join us in heaven. And I think there's even more evidence if you're talking about a new heaven and a new earth, we have animals now, and in a new heaven and new earth where it's all redeemed and made whole, you could very well likely have dogs and cats and all the other pets we've had, and they could be the ones that you have loved, might just be there too. So what can we say with certainty? What can we say with absolute certainty? We need to talk about loss, grief, death, and dying. That is a certainty. It's how we heal, move forward, and remind ourselves that God is always with us through it all. We can also say with certainty that, and speak with certainty that those who live with Christ now, they will live with Christ forever forever. Because eternity starts now. Eternity starts today. Heaven starts the day you say, yes, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. Today might be your day to say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. Yes, you are my Lord and my Savior. Today, you might just need space to grieve whatever loss that you're dealing with. As we prepare for our hearts for Holy Communion on this World Communion Sunday, celebrating with billions of Christians around the world make space for God to speak to you through the elements, through the prayer as you receive communion. Grieve in your own speed and space. And with the confidence of fellow Christians around the world, when you are ready, share your loss with others so we can help carry it with you. Let's pray together. Loving God, we don't like to face death. We don't want to face loss. But it's the reality of where we live, and you promise to be with us even through the valley of the shadow of death. May we seek to live with your Son, to be with Christ every day, so we can share his love with others, so we can endure the pain and suffering and heartaches and loss that come our way, and so we can be with you for all eternity, in heaven and in the new heaven and new earth that is yet to come. As we prepare ourselves to receive Holy Communion, we confess that there were times this last week we did not love you with our whole hearts and we missed opportunities to show love to our neighbors. So in this time of silent prayer, we confess to you those missed opportunities, those mistakes, our sins from not loving you with our whole heart and not loving our neighbors. We confess, confess them to you now in the silence. God, we give you thanks for forgiving us each and every time that we ask. May your Holy Spirit invade us this week. Help us to love you fully. Help us to love our neighbors as ourselves in all of our words and thoughts and actions. Now we confess together a 1,700-year-old creed uniting Christians across time and space that we live out to be true. Let's confess the Apostles' Creed together. The words are on screen for all of us to say. Let's say it together.